Um, there's a story you maybe know about um, a Church of Scotland minister and a, um, a Church of England colleague who go off down to um, a conference down in the south of England and they, they don't know each other when they arrive but they, they spend a couple of days together and they get quite friendly with each other and they, um, they're coming back up um, on the train back from wherever they've been and the, the Church of England uh, vicar is getting off the train and they, uh, the Church of Scotland minister says to him, well, you're away off to worship God in your way and I'm away off to worship God in his. And I suppose in, in some ways what that does is illustrate how easy it is to appropriate the things of God for us and say, I'm going to use this for my purposes. One of the, the key questions, I think, in this passage is, is just this, what is God's word for? Is it to bolster our prejudice, to provide ammunition against those with whom we disagree? What's it for? The Sadducees are using scripture in this passage. They say, Moses wrote for us. And uh, then they go on and they, they use this principle of what's called levirate marriage to ridicule belief in the resurrection, that's what they're doing. Um, Levirate mass marriage is, this is the passage from um, Deuteronomy 25, which uh, the, the lies behind their question. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. And it looks as though that word levirate might come from, uh, have a common root with the word Levi, but it doesn't actually. It's a Latin word. Um, levia means simply my husband's brother. So this is the, the kind of principle that's behind what's being talked about here. And it's something that, that is not uncommon actually in, in very strongly um, tribal communities because if, if a, a widow marries outside the family, then the name and whatever resources of land or whatever it might be is, is lost to that part of the family. So this was a, a way of keeping those uh, resources within the family. And the other thing that's, that's behind this um, controversy is, is this, the question of the resurrection in the Old Testament. And actually, it's it's quite unclear through the Old Testament whether there is a belief there in the resurrection or not. There are a couple of passages that, that seem to indicate that perhaps there is a belief in the resurrection. This is one of them from Job. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. Now, it's, it's referencing um, the, the Redeemer in a very human sort of way because the Redeemer was a relative who, who had a duty to, to look after um, their, their relatives in, in, in this world. So whether that is a, a reference to something in the life to come is a little unclear, really. There's another one that, that's often quoted, and it's this one from Psalm 16. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me 
till the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. And that seems to be suggesting that there's something beyond this life. But through the Old Testament, that, that's quite a, um, an open question, really. And in Jesus' day, that um, controversy was, was being continued. And the, the Sadducees were the party that said, there is no resurrection. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, said, yes, there is. We can believe in this life after death. The way of remembering that, do you know the way to remember that? Is that the, the, Pharise the, sorry, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Anyway, that, that's the, the, the controversy that lies at the background of um, some of this. And, and so the, the Sadducees invent this scenario of the seven brothers who all in turn marry the same woman and all die without having children. And for them, it was a sort of, isn't this ridiculous? You know, what's going to happen in the resurrection, for goodness sake? I mean, this, guy, this woman's married all these seven men, so who's, whose wife is she going to be? And it's a way of poking fun, really at the resurrection and, and how that, that's plainly ridiculous. They're saying, in a sense, let's use this scripture, that, well, Deuteronomy that we had there, let's use this to beat Jesus about the head, about resurrection. That's what they're using it for. So what is God's word for? Well, it's interesting that in, not in Luke, but in Matthew and in Mark's gospel, this, where this story also appears, there are some additional words of Jesus. And in both those gospels, in Matthew and Mark, Jesus says to the Sadducees, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor God's power. And that must have been a real slap in the face, you know, because, uh, I mean, the Sadducees were highly educated people, so as were the Pharisees. And they would have learned the Hebrew scriptures from childhood, you know, they would have been brought up memorizing large swathes of the scriptures. And so to be told that they, they didn't know the scriptures or God's power is, is quite a, an insult. And I wonder what Jesus meant by that. And perhaps what he means is, you don't understand what God's word is for. It's not that you don't know it but you don't understand what it's for. And what is it for? Well, the answer in some ways is quite simple. It's so that God can speak to me. That's what it's for. It's so that the Almighty God can address me. Not so that I can use it to um, bolster my own prejudices. It's so that God can speak to me. I don't know where this quote comes from, but I, I, I think it's very good. God gave man ears to hoist him to heaven thereby. And I always have this lovely picture, you know, of God picking us up by the ears and <laughs> taking us up to heaven. But, I mean, the point is well made, isn't it? it? It's actually through the hearing of God's word that we are brought into the presence of God. That's what it's for. That's the purpose of it. And when we use God's word in order to beat up other people, then we're in danger of not knowing the scriptures. And we need to be very careful, I think, in, in terms of our motivation, sometimes in terms of the way that we use the scriptures. That's not to say 
that the word of God in the scriptures is unimportant. Certainly not. It's very important. And the Church of Scotland as a denomination declares that the word of God contained in the Old and New Testament is the supreme rule of life and death. And in this passage, having berated the Sadducees, Jesus himself goes on to refer to the scripture. He talks about the um, episode in Exodus of Moses standing before the burning bush and hearing God's voice. And it's the, uh, the point that Jesus is making is that it's the voice of the living God. And it's the, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. So all of these guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are alive in God. And Jesus is, is using it in that way. So what's God's word for? It's to address me, to shape my understanding and my behavior. That's what it's for. So that it dwells in us and changes how we behave. So let's just turn to the other thing that's, that's in this passage, the resurrection. And we, we, we talked about this a little bit um, two or three weeks ago when we came to the end of uh, Mark's Gospel and that really strange ending at the end of Mark's Gospel and, and, and what that meant in terms of the resurrection. This, there's a book, actually, I, I had forgotten about it when the last time I preached on this, but uh, Tom Wright has a book called um, Surprised by Hope which if you haven't read, I recommend it to you. It's the best thing. It's very easy to read. And it's the best treatment of, of you know, death and resurrection that I've read in ages. Uh, Tom Wright's Surprised by Hope. And the, the Christian hope for life to come is real. And it's not a disembodied existence. It's not. You know, when you, I, I haven't done an awful lot of funerals recently, but when I was doing funerals regularly, you, you come across some strange ideas, <laughs> you know, about life after death and, and all that that means. Um, people speak about the person that's died, you know, becoming a star in the sky. And they talk about them being a pebble on the seashore. And they, they, sometimes people speak in vague terms about reincarnation, which is the idea that, you know, depending on how you behave in this life, then you come back either as, um, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, not, I'll, not, I'll not use any examples. The ones that come to mind are probably not very helpful. They, but the idea that of reincarnation is that the way you behave in this life depends on what happens um, in the next. And none of those, none of those is in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say we become stars in the sky. The Bible doesn't say that we become pebbles on the seashore. It certainly doesn't say that, you know, depending on how we behave now, we'll come back as a worm or a, an eagle or whatever it is. Um, it certainly doesn't say that. And the resurrection of Jesus, actually, is the touchstone of Christian faith. This is the thing without which Christian faith wouldn't exist. If Jesus had been just a, a moral teacher or a healer and it had not, the resurrection hadn't happened, we probably would never have heard of him. It's because of the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, that we, we're here. <laughs> Particularly on a Sunday, actually, which is the day of the resurrection. 
It's, this is the touchstone. And um, just to, for, a, for a moment to speak personally about this, I, um, as a young man, one of the, the things that, that drew me into Christian faith was thinking about the resurrection. Um, the, I don't know if you remember the book by, I think it was a guy called Frank Morrison called Who Moved the Stone? Any of you know that? And it, it's an examination of, you know, what happened? And he, he set out to write this book to disprove the resurrection. And he, he looked at it from all sorts of angles and, and tried to understand what happened. And, and that was my question. You know, as, as somebody who was brought up as a, in a science background, my, my question was, is it true? Is it true? Did Jesus really come back to life again? You know, I mean, the tomb was empty. Well, maybe somebody stole the body. Well, no, that didn't happen. There are all sorts of, of theories you can come up with, but in the end, for me, it was about, yes, I believe this happened. I believe it was true that he really died and that he really was brought back to life again. And not only that, but that this is something, the resurrection of Jesus is something that we will share. In. That's the teaching of the New Testament, actually. In... Um, Paul's chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection, he says this, the truth is that Christ has been raised from death as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. Now, what we, we said a couple of weeks ago when we were thinking about the resurrection in Mark's gospel is it's not, in, it's not entirely clear what that looks like. That's partly why I chose this picture, you know, of the seed germinating because that's about Jesus talks about that in, in John's gospel he talks about the seed falling into the ground and new life coming up and I suppose unless you're a botanist you can't look at a seed and tell what the plant's going to look like can you and perhaps the resurrection is a bit like that you know looking at us now and our bodies and the frailty of all that and and the limitation that it has I'm not sure we can tell exactly what the resurrection life's going to look like but it's going to be real. And the expression that um, um, Tom Wright uses is transformed physicality. And when Miriam was, was talking with the children about, you know, what's the one thing that you can do uh, in this life that you can't do in the next? So one of the things that Jesus says here is get married. Isn't it? <laughs> and I don't understand that. I would quite like to be married in the next life, actually, you know. But that's, we will be as angels, is what Jesus said. I don't really understand. I'm, I'm not sure what that means, that we will be as angels. But the assurance is, it's going to be good. <laughs> In fact, it's going to be great. It's going to be better than anything that we have here. The, the limitations of our frailty, our humanness, will be gone and we can be in the presence of God in that resurrected state and that is the promise that is the hope that is set out before us let's pray